So Jake, first thing first, can you like introduce yourself for the audience? Yeah, so uh, my name is Jake Allen. I'm currently uh, a minor league strength conditioning coach for the New York Mets. Um, this is my second season. I just finished here with the Mets. I spent uh, about the first five or so years of my career actually coaching college basketball. So the 17-18 season, I was at the University of Missouri, um, where I interned under Nicodemus Christopher, uh, one of the greatest human beings I've ever had the pleasure to meet. I uh, still to this day talk to him uh, often, consider him one of, uh, again, the most important people I've ever met in my life. Uh, after that, I moved on to the University of Texas. I uh, went down there as like a graduate intern, graduate assistant type. Um, we I started off in the Olympic uh, side of things, spent about three months, like the summer kind of internship curriculum with them, where I primarily worked with like soccer, women's tennis, swim and dive. Um, and then after that, I transitioned back over to men's basketball. So I uh, spent about five or six months uh, working under uh, Daniel Roos there, who's now at VCU men's basketball. And then I got the opportunity to go down to the University of Houston, where I was uh, the assistant for the men's basketball program for almost two two years, almost uh, under Alan Bishop, before transitioning over to uh, the uh, men's baseball program where I took over as the head guy. So I did that for about another year and a half, and then I made the move to professional sports where I've been with the Mets for the past two seasons since. So Ooh. it's been uh, kind of a journey all across the country, but, you know, that's what this profession is all about, I guess, huh? Cool. So um, between basketball and baseball, which sport do you like the most? Man, you know, there's pros and cons to each. Um, obviously, basketball, you got the smaller roster sizes. You know, you're dealing with maybe some of the most freak athletes, you know. So – and at the end of the day, most of them, most, not all of them, most have very low training ages when they get to us at the college setting. So honestly, you know, the most simple things, you know, just mastering the basics really with them is going to kind of be what really drives the needle for a, a while. Um, when you get to baseball, you know, it's a completely different demographic. So a lot of, from my experience, a lot of the athletes I've had at the college level already had a pretty solid background in training. Um, so then you got to worry about, okay, who did they come, you know, who are they training under, you know, who were their, you know, personal trainers or strength coaches in high school, um, before they got there, or were they Juco guys who were kind of just let loose and, you know, would go to the rec and do, you know, the old, you know, bro splits, bodybuilding style workouts. Then we got to have to break that mold. Um, and then you get the, you know, professional level from my experience, it's just kind of been, you know, a little bit of mix, you know, I got some college guys, you know, who come from some very, very, very good, you know, strength programs. Um, got a couple of kids from, you know, LSU, Texas, Washington State, you know, uh, Kentucky, who have, you know, some very good training backgrounds, Florida. And then, you know, I got some kids, some of them more like, you know, Latin, younger Latin players, international players, who when they sign with us, you know, they have zero exposure to any kind of strength training program until they kind of get to our academy um, so they're still when to get to my level, you know, there's still a lot of times very, very raw. So definitely have a mixed bag and, you know, basketball players, you know, I like to say I have to chase them sometimes, you know, a lot of times to get them to come to the weight room or baseball players, a lot of times I have to push them out of the weight room and get them to do less work. So you got kind of polar opposites there. Um, so it's not really, I guess, the answer to the question as far as which one do I like better. Um, but there's just pros and cons to each, you know. So nice. I love that. 
actually one of my one of my colleague right now he used to work with baseball so this is from what he said and i quote he said that baseball player besides football baseball player are the most strongest athlete he ever trained i was like is it okay yeah i mean you know i've seen obviously a lot of freaks within track and field um you know, I've seen a lot of freaks, you know, I've never personally worked with hockey or wrestling, but I've been around some hockey players and wrestlers and those and some gymnasts too. I think gymnasts are some of the un- most underrated uh, strength athletes there are. Um, but no, baseball players, I think are more kind of that, that meathead style. You know, they love, they just love to come in, just get after it, just be bros. Yeah. So, you know, that's obviously fun for me, you know, a fellow meathead myself. Nice. So, um, Besides, like, the baseball and basketball, this is personally I want, the question I want to ask. How much is your basketball PR and, like, deadlifting? Um, man, all time, not in the competition. I, I've hit a back squat about 560, uh, and I've hit a deadlift with straps. I've gone 675. Without straps, I've gone 650. Oh, whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. But that was, again, that was out of competition. In competition, I'm still trying to get my 1,500 total, which will qualify me for nationals, which is my end goal. Not end goal, but current goal. To do powerlifting? Yeah. That was cool. That was cool. That's one of my personal goals, at least. Do you think that, like, this is just personally I want. Do you think, like, like, that, like, run those, like, powerlifting program to help us as a strength and conditioning coach to like help us get our athletes stronger oh for sure i think the more diverse um that we can become you know the better like i think we we should be able to take something from every different realm of athletics and performance and blend them together and to make our own individualized kind of philosophies and programs um so yeah, hundred percent. I think that my personal training in powerlifting, my you know, following these programs, I'm employing other coaches. That's the thing too for me. Like I go out and I try to get other coaches to program for me, so I can feel and get the idea of okay, like you know, I may have read my program one way. I want something else. You know, I want to see a different idea, a different belief. You know, mindset, different philosophies and methods to go about achieving the same end goal. And I think for me, that's really kind of helped me develop a lot more of an open mind. And uh, really, I think it's benefited my actual programming coaching for my athletes as well. Nice. Based on your answer, I kind of want to do the squat over right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking a pass this year. I haven't done, I think it's been maybe three years since I've done squat over. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think I went two years in a row. Um, I think I was. Yeah. The last time I did it was, yeah, I was at Texas. Actually, you know, it was fun. You know, we did it with the whole staff, the basketball staff, you know, myself, the, you know, Coach Roos I mentioned earlier, who's the head, Tyler Genota, who was the assistant at the time there. Now he's at, uh, you know, uh, Western Kentucky and uh, – or Eastern Kentucky, sorry. No, Northern Kentucky. Sorry, Tyler, if you're watching this, sorry, man. I think it's Northern Kentucky. Um, but uh, – and then, you know, we had our uh, – you know, athletic trainer as well. So we had a good solid group. And then Zach Zildner, who's the women's basketball coach down there, was participating too. So it's fun when you have a group. At least I thought it was fun as a group. Right now, it's just not, you know, conducive to my goals. So taking a pass. Cool. 
So, um, besides like which one you like the most, can you like, um, describe describe the game needs? How is how is the game different from basketball to baseball? Yeah. So I think that kind of you know. I thought you were going to ask, you know, how do I train differently, which I'm glad you didn't, but I think that's a better question the way you worded it. Um, because to me, how I train my athletes, at least in the weight room, is and especially at the level I work with, whether it's college or the low level minor league with these younger guys who are basically college age. A lot of times my actual like strength programming doesn't vary a whole lot. Obviously, you know, the, um, you know, the nuances, you know, injury prevention standpoint, you know, that's where we'll kind of get them, you know, into it. Where as far as obviously with baseball, we're, you know, we got to do more stuff to avoid aggravating the elbow and the shoulder. Basketball, obviously, we're worried about ACLs and, you know, protecting the knees at all costs. So there's going to be a little bit of stuff specific to those, you know, needs of the sport. But when it comes down to it, you know, obviously the energy system demands are vastly different from baseball to basketball. Um, so that's going to be the biggest thing, you know, especially – you know, in the off season, like right now, you know, our season, our off season just began. So we're just going back to the basics of, you know, energy system development and, you know, trying to, you know, just reestablish that, you know, aerobic base. Um, but obviously when we get closer to season, it's such a, you know, a or anaerobic, sorry, anaerobic power base sport where obviously basketball is more that, you know, repeat effort, which I mean, baseball is more of a repeat effort. Whereas basketball is obviously you got to have such a just enormous engine, right? Just to be able to survive those long games, those grueling, you know, practices and whatnot. So that's really kind of where the difference for me lies is really that energy system development, to be honest. Like, because when it comes down to it, to me, training is training. I don't do anything too crazy for the most part until my guys get to a really advanced level. But, uh, you know, kind of that off season point where we're at now is where kind of the difference really kind of shows where, all right, what energy system we're going to develop. And then where are we going to, what's our end goal? Where are we going to get to by the time season rolls around? Nice. Nice. So uh, the next thing is like um, when it comes to like baseball, baseball has such a long season. Mm -hmm. How, how, how would you program the in season versus off off season weight training? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, so me personally, how I like to plan out my year, my annual plan, you know, the off season, it's, I would say it's more of a traditional kind of, it depends on the, it, of course, it depends on the athlete and where they're at in their development. Uh, but I would go for typically, I would say it looks more like a traditional linear uh, periodization phase or, uh, you know, with the phases. Um, and then obviously, you know, as we're getting, you know, so right now we're in just kind of that, you know, building that GPP, you know, aerobic base, that, you know, uh, work capacity phase. Um, then, you know, going to, you know, more of that traditional hypertrophy, you know, then a strength and a power prior to the season. You know, nothing fancy for at least the guys that I'm working with at my level um, and for the most part. In season, you know, I will, again, it depends on the athlete, depends on the their playing schedules. Uh, you know, if they're a pitcher or a, you know, position player, obviously – starting pitchers are on more of a, you know, strict anywhere from five to seven day rotation based on, you know, what, what team and how our manager and pitching coaches are going to operate. Um, so I actually like to do more of like a, yeah, like a undulated periodization throughout the week with them to where, you know, let's say it's a starting pitcher. 
I'll try to do a heavy strength, um, you know, session. Typically I'll try to do it that same day after they get done pitching. So I can keep their high days high and really kind of consolidate the stress to one day if possible. Some guys, you know, cause obviously down here in Florida, it gets extremely hot. If a guy pitches five, six, seven innings, and he just completely toast. We're going to get nothing out of it. I'll push the lift to the next day. And for me having that full week, week cycle, um, it's not going to be the end of the world. Um, but then obviously as we get closer to, uh, you know, their next outing, you know, they have a bullpen kind of somewhere either two or three days out from their next start. That's where I'll hit more of like a dynamic effort style session with them. Um, and then a lot of, not a, I would say my more advanced pitchers, um, I will do kind of like a day before or some of them even a day of like a, almost like a prime, like a CNS kind of, you know, 15 minute, 20 minute top come in, hit two or three, almost like a French contrast style, you know, uh, session. And then, you know, two or three really quality high power output sets and get them out. Um, so that's kind of how I do it throughout the week with my pitchers, with my hitters and position players. Again, it's going to vary based on their, you know, individual playing schedule. If we have a guy who's playing, you know, four or five, six days a week, basically I'll kind of undulate it throughout the season. You know, I like to use um, our, you know, force plates tell me a lot, you know, based on the counter movement jumps. So if a guy jumps, you know, prior to a session and he PRs, all right, cool. Let's take advantage. You're in a good spot. Let's get after it today. If the CMJ is down a little bit, usually anywhere from five to 10%, um, I'll start kind of cutting sets. If it's below 10%, you know, we'll reconsider if I actually want to train him that day or give him that day and just, Hey, let's circle back tomorrow and see where we're at. You know, try to push him to the training room really kicks out that recovery process, get him ready for that game that night. Um, but again, I tried to use velocity based training in season a lot to kind of monitor where they're at. And that way I know, all right, Hey, I want to hit strength for these next two weeks. Obviously we know, you know, someone's one RM, you know, can fluctuate. Obviously the literature says different things, but it can fluctuate. I would say anywhere from 10 to 20%, somewhere within that range on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I don't care if, you know, it might be, you know, whatever it is that I'm trying to train. We know that the velocity based training is telling us we're actually getting that uh, sessions worth um, by following those parameters. Um, and then kind of, like I said, usually every two weeks or so, I'll kind of follow a different um, goal. Unless we have a guy, you know, who's just comes completely underweight or undersized and he just needs to get bigger, stronger, you know, then obviously I'll modify and adjust for him accordingly or vice versa. If I have a guy who is just extremely big, powerful are extremely big and strong, we need to really get him, you know, powerful and moving fast. Then obviously we'll adjust from there. But for the most part, like I said, at my level of low A this past two seasons, I don't need to get too fancy with my methods, really. Just kind of keep it simple, make sure they stay consistently training through the season. And we've seen some great results from that. Nice, nice. So um, since you brought up like force play testing, counter movement jump, basketball player are crazy, yeah, like a vertical jump. They are crazy vertical. And yeah. I don't know what about I don't know that much of about baseball player, but like like when we are training our basketball player, our goal is like during the offseason, our goal is mainly like train them to like jump higher. Yeah. But baseball is a sport that probably probably I don't know probably don't need match 
that much of a vertical. So, uh, is it different from this standpoint? Is it going to be different for programming? Yeah. So I'm not necessarily looking for the actual vertical jump height as much as the actual uh, CMJ impulse and the amount of actual power that they're creating. Um, and obviously, it takes into account body weight. Like a guy who's 250 pounds, but just because he's fat and overweight, his impulse, you know, will be you know naturally higher than someone who's 150 pounds at an equal strength level. Um, you know, don't quote me on that, but it'll be obviously you know you ha- he has the advantage um, just because the sheer mass. So, but that's the thing is I look at the trends over time. Um, yeah, we, there's been a lot of studies that have shown direct correlation between lower body power output and both exit velocity for hitters and throwing velocity for pitchers. So I look at that metric, the actual CMJ impulse and power output than I do necessarily the vertical jump height, um, for these guys. I look at a lot of also like the eccentric breaking impulses. Um, and then I use it a lot for my, you know, looking at asymmetries. So the four stacks that, you know, that we use, they show us, you know, right to left, both on takeoff and landing, you know, any asymmetries. So it's great for, you know, especially any, you know, return to play protocols I may have, or, you know, kind of determining, all right, Hey, you know, we have a big, you know, asymmetry, you know, from right to left on this guy. All right, let's really focus more, you know, maybe on single leg landings, or, you know, maybe we're taking out, you know, for the next uh, block of training, taking out bilateral squats and we're throwing in only, you know, unilateral variations of the movement. So that's kind of how I look at the CMJ and I kind of, you know, honestly, for me, probably the, that's probably the least uh, important metric personally for baseball players. Um, it's, it's not something that just completely throw aside, but for me personally, I look at other metrics before the actual vertical jump height. Cool. So uh, I know you already mentioned that in season, you're probably going to use like game day lift prior or like the game like after the game besides like the game day lift are you gonna like while sorry while using the game day lift are you gonna like still gonna progress like um some try to paradise it like uh um i don't know like block paradization or like angela try to get them stronger through the season or like just try to maintain their strength level, keep them healthy. Yeah, no, obviously keeping them healthy is number one priority, number one goal all year round for me. Um, but at the same time, no, I still, especially with how long the baseball season is, you know, we started spring training starts, you know, beginning of March and I just ended my season, you know, two weeks ago in September with the major leagues, you know, just ending, you know, this past weekend with playoffs starting. So, you know, if you don't try and see some kind of gains, whether strength, power, or a combination of the two, or whatever else that individual athlete might need, um, you know, to me, you're wasting, you know, half of the year, especially at my level, half the year, very important time for them to develop um, as an athlete, as a baseball player. So, yeah, we're still seeking gains in strength. We're still seeking gains in power. Um, We just got to be strategic of how we go about it. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing is still baseball for these guys. You know, that's what they're getting paid to do is play baseball. So I never want to do anything that's going to be detrimental to their on-field performance. So it is kind of it's, – it's a precious, you know, kind of, um, you know, like theatrical, you know, type thing that we got going on with, you know, trying to balance out 
you know, the weight room stuff, the on-field, your movement skill stuff I'm doing with them, whether it's, you know, speed, acceleration session, et cetera, you know, like making sure that the stress that I'm putting on their bodies at the end of the day, is not adding unneeded stress or unnecessary stress. It's going to eventually take away from them on field. Cool. So, uh, I'm going to, uh, ask another question. Uh, baseball is like, like pitcher or like position, position player. They're going to need to throw the ball a lot. So how exactly to like build up a, I know it's possible. I know it's impossible, but how to build up a a bulletproof shoulder. And so I, this past season, I was very, very fortunate to work with um, a very, very talented and very intelligent athletic trainer, Anthony Oliveri. Um, So, you know, he has a phenomenal arm care routine um, that he, you know, has developed. He's worked with the major league, you know, team up in New York um, in the past and, you know, basically every level um, between. And so, you know, I relied heavily on him. You know, he taught me a ton. Um, but then we would sprinkle in some stuff. Like there were some, you know, some of the guys just don't go to the training room as much as they should. So they're not getting as much out of the, you know, phenomenal resources that you know, he had provided. The rest of the organization, you know, has, you know, provided for these pitchers and position players too uh, to prevent, you know, their shoulder injuries. So in those instances, we would, you know, implement more stuff in their, um, you know, whether it's their prep routine or their actual training program, you know, maybe like at the end, um, you know, I have a guy who maybe let's say he lacks, you know, you know, stability in, you know, an overhead, you know, abducted state or whatever it may be, you know. So, you know, we throw in some kind of variation letters, so, you know, loaded carry, you know, just to kind of make sure that we're kind of getting in what he's not getting in by doing you know, the stuff that we had already put in place through our, you know, the rest of our performance department. Um, but really to me, it comes down to just having a very, very solid holistic program put in place. And if you do that, then, you know, you should be able to avoid a lot of, you know, shoulder issues, elbow issues. You're never going to completely eliminate them. Just like, you know, with working with, you know, your athletes, like you could have the best program ever concocted there's still a chance that someone, unfortunately, knock on wood, you know, but there's still a chance someone's going to blow out an ACL. That just, that's just the nature of high level athletics. You know, we're, we're stressing these bodies as much as we can to try to get as most out of them as we can. And, you know, unfortunately at times they're going to break, but um, yeah, I think if you have a very sound holistic approach to your program and that starts from, you know, their prep routine to their training routine, to their post-game arm care routine, to the recovery routine, to their, you know, make sure the nutrition locked in, all the stuff that we know is important from that standpoint. Um, that's going to have a bigger role, I think, than just saying, okay, this is what I do specifically in the weight room. I think it's got to be a whole encompassing attack from the whole, really whole performance department. Well, can you like give us some example that probably you learned from the athletic trainer? Um. Yeah, I mean, it was more so just kind of how to – what I really learned from him was really kind of – so he periodizes out throughout the week, you know, just like I was talking about earlier with my weight training. He does a really good job of kind of planning that out um, and really kind of changing the amount of stress that he's applying and where he's applying it to in the shoulder capsule um, based on the kind of different loads and demands that the pitchers are undergoing 
whether it's a, you know, a start, you know, for a starting pitcher, whether it's starting that night, okay, this is what they're doing the, that night afterwards, you know, again, kind of like I mentioned, you know, try to keep the high stress days high. So that will be a, you know, he- relatively heavy, you know, army care day for them after their game. Um, and then, you know, obviously then you kind of trickle down a little bit as you get closer to the bullpen, bullpen will again, kind of be a little a more taxing, you know, recovery day for them. And then you kind of ease back off as they get closer to the next outing. So that was kind of what I really took away from him was just kind of how he goes about that, which was something that, you know, from my experience in college, obviously, you know, we're only playing three or four days a week and it's all consolidated down into the weekend. So we weren't as concerned about that um, spread over the course of the week. Um, so kind of going in the year two college, professional baseball from the college transition, that was kind of the big thing I took away from him was how he plans out the whole week, not just those three or four days over the weekend like I was used to in college. Cool. Cool. So um, I know you talk a little bit like about force play testing, but still uh, more load management is like a huge topic right now. So for like baseball, sorry, for basketball or like for, I know American football, I know soccer there, there's like, Connexon, there's a catapult GPS data, but for baseball, do you guys use like uh any GPS data or like just force play to track or to know how where our athletes are right now? Yeah, we're uh so we have a phenomenal sports science department here. Um, Jackson Bertoli is the uh, director coordinator of minor league uh, sports perform our sports science here with the Mets, and he's phenomenal. Um, one of the best I've ever been around. Um, and so we use this past two seasons I've been here, we've used stat sports for our GPS system. Um, and yeah, we have the GPS units on our guys or position players. Um, every second of, you know, pretty much every activity they're doing from the time they get to the stadium, you know, they're doing on-field activity until the game ends. Um, so we're tracking their entire day's work worth of baseball work. And, uh, you know, then I, I would, you know, get a daily report um, with their overall workload, you know, you look at, uh, you know, their acute to chronic workload, you know, where they're at, if they need more work, if they need less work, kind of, you know, how to go from there, then that's my responsibility then to communicate that to our baseball staff and try to figure out a plan of, okay, hey, you know, this player, you know, he's down, you know, maybe he missed three days because he, you know, tweaked something. All right, well, now I got to, you know, work with our baseball staff to get his extra work up to where he's in a safe spot because we know that once you fall below, you know, certain, you know, acute to chronic workload ratio puts you at a higher risk for soft tissue injury. Um, actually, the lower you are, you're at a higher risk than if you were above, you know, the certain ratio. So um, that's how we utilize it. And then we also keep track of, you know, uh, high speed sprint exposures and make sure that, you know, we're keeping guys basically soft tissues safe by making sure that, you know, the frequency of those are staying up. Again, might be a guy who might be only playing once or twice a week. So if he's not, you know, getting his, you know, max top end speeds um, through games or early work, then, you know, I'll take him at some point and make sure that we're keeping him on track for that to keep him healthy um, or at, as much as I can keep him healthy. Nice, nice. So uh, I'm going to just jump into the, another topic is about like uh, core training. So I know baseball, there's a lot of like rotation, tons of rotation. So 
as a strength coach, how would you program their like rotation or anti-rotation or like explosiveness? And can you kind of explain it like uh how would you program it during the off season and during the in season? There's so much going on. Would you change anything? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So when I look at rotational power, um, I like to kind of break it down into multiple, you know, aspects. So first off for me, um, I look at the overall structure of the, the athlete first. So if there are any kind of deficiency, whether it's dorsiflexion, you know, bilateral hip, IR, ER, you know, lack of T-spine rotation, you know, in one way or both ways, you know, we, I, we really got to hone in and correct those um, by either, you know, getting them extra, you know, movement um, stuff in their prep routines or throwing in more correctives, maybe at the beginning or end of their lifts, or maybe it's like a superset. Um, because if you can't move efficiently, it doesn't matter how much strength you have. Um, you're not going to be able to display that power, you know, in any uh, plane of motion, but especially if we're talking about rotational power. Um, so that's kind of the number one thing for me is making sure that they're, you know, in alignment and can, you know, um, be anatomically, I guess, move well. After that, then we go up and, you know, I look at force production. Where's the guy, you know, how does he test out in our strength test? You know, is he, you know, but if I were just to attack straight power movements, Am I kind of missing the boat on, you know, continuing to fill that strength bucket that maybe he needs, you know, for the next couple months or maybe longer. Um, and then kind of once he gets past that baseline level of strength, then we can kind of get more specific with actual rotation. Um, not saying I don't train rotation with every baseball player to an extent I do, um, especially in the off season. But to me, again, it comes back to if you can't, dominate the basics. So if you can't dominate the frontal plane or the sagittal or the yeah, sagittal plane or frontal plane, you know, that's what makes up rotational movement. So we got to, I want to be strong in both of those. And I want to be powerful in both of those. And then we become more specific with rotation. Again, not saying I don't train rotation in along with those, but, um, you know, I look at kind of trying to dominate those two um, first and master those two first. And then we kind of really focus more. It's like my advanced level guys um, on that true rotational based um, programs. Now I do, again, there is at some point in the off season right now, we're not really doing a ton of rotational power stuff. We're doing a lot of anti-rotation. Um, and then we'll start working more into rotational stuff, um, rotational power specifically as we get closer to the season. And then as you mentioned, there is so much going on in season they are taking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of swings and throws each week. So we try, or I try and limit the amount of rotation they're doing. I don't completely take it out of the program, but I look at it as similar to what I did with like my jumps and my ground contact with basketball, right? As the season increases, the demands of the season increase, so do their ground contacts. So from a training standpoint, you know, I would reduce those just like I would reduce my overall rotation work with a baseball player as the season increases and the rotational demands increase. Um, and that's kind of how I periodize it, I guess, throughout the year. Nice. I loved it. I loved it. So um, correct me if I'm wrong. So um, start from the basic like anti-rotation and progress through rotation and rotation power. And when it comes to like 
uh, in season, trying to minimize minimize it. But at the same time, they're so biased to one side. Are are you gonna put in some work to the other to balance it or? Yeah, I definitely uh, train both sides. Um, you know, we're I'm never chasing perfect symmetry, especially in a you know something like that where you know if we're talking you know jumping or sprinting, you know, yeah, we want we recognize there most likely is going to be some kind of asymmetries, you know, from one side to the other, um, and we want to kind of cut those down to reduce the risk of injury. In a sport where, you know, a right-handed pitcher is never going to be asked to throw unless something completely crazy happens to throw with his left arm um, and rotate that direction, you know, it's it's important more so just from a – again, I'm big on structural balance. And so I like to try to keep the body as balanced as possible while still recognizing that, um, you know, there are going to be asymmetries, especially in a sport where you're constantly rotating to one side and never to the other. Um, so I am going to throw some stuff in there to balance it out, but I'm not necessarily super worried about, you know, like if, if I'm trying to cut volume for some reason, like let's say, you know, we're deloading a guy, maybe he came in and CMJ's down that to me, that's an easy way to cut some easy volume from his lift is that, Hey, we got some med ball, you know, work today. Maybe, you know, we're only going to do it to your swing side or your pitching side. You know, when I was kind of those, um, that's like French contrast style, you know, neural prep circuit that I mentioned that I do with some of my pitchers the day of or day before the uh, outings, you know, I only for a fatigue standpoint reason, I only have them do anything rotationally on their actual like dominant side, just to kind of limit the overall volume that we're using. But if we're doing a true regular session, uh, yeah, I'm going to attack both sides just for the simple goal of trying to get them to stay athletic and stay moving through as many different ranges and motions um, as possible. Nice. So, um, since at the beginning of our conversation, we kind of talk about like baseball player being stronger than bat, not all, but most of the basketball player, like, um, and I saw a lot of like baseball player lifts so heavy. So um is there like like is there like um gonna be like some certain like um benchmark? I mean two two times body weight should be easy for these guys, right? Uh I don't like to set hard benchmarks. Um Again, our sports science department has come up with some, you know, collected a lot of data over the years to where we have, you know, specific, um, you know, measures that, you know, kind of give us a guideline of where to take guys. But at the end of the day, we're also, you know, I might have a guy who maybe he's, let's say he's a center fielder who, you know, the front office expects him to steal, you know, 40 plus spaces a season. And he might be 185 pounds where speed is the name of his game. And that's what, you know, gets him paid where I might have a corner infielder or a catcher who, you know, his game is power, you know, and, you know, hitting balls, you know, 20, 30, 40 home runs a season, um, you know, for, so I don't necessarily say, oh yeah, I want all my guys to be able to squat, you know, two, two and a half times body weight. To me, it's going to look back at what are their goals? 
what is their body type, what does the front office expect from them, and then from there, it's my job to establish what I think is the best parameter for them in order to get to where they need to be developmental-wise. It's going to eventually help them reach their potential and maximize their potential on the baseball field. Cool, cool. So, um, for rotational power, um, between between like um. Or like, do you like kind of if they're rotational, like let's say sequencing, their sequencing aren't right. Are you gonna specifically correct them, or at that level of like high level athlete, at some point just you're gonna just let it slide. Uh it. I don't want to give you the answer, but I'm gonna give you the answer. It depends. Um, I got you. You know it. It really does. Um, you know, I'm never, I'm not a pitching coach. I'm not a hitting coach. So I don't ever want to act like I am trying to change or fix their mechanics. But what I can do is I can give them the tools um, that will help them clean something up that maybe their hitting coach or pitching coach identifies. And we can then maybe put specific movements that um, I think can help clean those movements up in their training plan. So you know, if a guy struggles with, you know, hip shoulder separation, um, okay, then maybe I can do more stuff where, you know, maybe we're doing stuff like a 3D strap and really focusing on, you know, trying to improve that as part of maybe his, you know, prep routine or something like that. Um, but if it comes to actual, and, and this is where, you know, I feel like it, again, it takes us as performance coaches to develop those relationships with our sport coaches and, you know, come up with the plans, you know, break down some film. And again, we need to, you know, it's that's why it's important for us to be at, you know, as many practices and games as possible so we can watch these guys move and we can see what they may be deficient in. And then we can translate, you know, um, what we do or what we see on the court or on the field and into the weight room and have more of a transfer from there. So, yeah, I think there is definitely some stuff that we need to do if they lack sequencing. Um but again, I'm going to do kind of drill specific towards maybe their deficiencies in a certain aspect. I'm not going to try to necessarily fix their pitching mechanics because, again, that's not my job. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. And trust me, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no pitcher. <laughs> I'm definitely uh, – the guys make fun of me. They say I throw the baseball like a shot put because I don't have much, uh, if any, ER. So I'm not over here trying to give anybody any pitching advice. <laughs> nice, nice. So uh... – for those who are familiar with rotational athletes, can you explain a little bit like what is hip shoulder separation? Yeah, so it's basically, I mean, it's pretty much like the name says. Um, it's, you know, how much can you really kind of dissociate um, the lower body from the upper body and the trunk from the uh, torso? So that's a big thing when it comes to, um, you know, kind of that power, that rotational power. Because if you can think about like a hitter or a pitcher, when they plant that lead leg, if the longer they can keep their upper body back, the more torque they're going to be able to create. And therefore, the more power they're going to have and the more kind of potential energy um, they'll be able to, you know, sustain. If they can't keep the shoulders back or the torque, the, you know, completely rotated or turned, not completely, but as much as possible, by the time that lead leg lands, they're losing out on a ton of potential power 
um, that they otherwise would be. So that's where kind of like I was saying earlier, when I'm talking about like, if I look at like a pyramid of, you know, rotational power and what it takes to development, that's why the very bottom of the pyramid to me is that movement in that kind of alignment that I mentioned earlier. Cause uh, you know, if you lacking in, you know, let's say you're a right-handed pitcher, if you're le lacking in left leg, you know, hip ER, that's really going to have a detrimental effect on your ability to create that hip shoulder separation. So again, that's going to take away a lot of your potential rotational power. So I like to attack that, you know, one of the first things I do, if it's a necessity. Cool. Cool. So last thing before I let you go, okay. You're working with, uh, you're working at pro setting right now, which is like a lot of like strength coaches, like dream job. And you used to work with college basketball. So how to like get from the position you were to the position to the position you are right now? Man, a lot of patience, um, you know, and just continue to kind of just work and grind and just, you know, be as perfect as you can be. You know, I'm far from perfect. Don't get me wrong. Anybody listening to this, like, I'm not trying to say that. I'm far from perfect. I got a long ways to go in a lot of aspects, coaching and non-coaching. Um, but, you know, I strive with, for, for, for perfection every single day, every single thing that I do. And, um, you know, I think, you know, really showing that you care, you know, and that, you know, that work ethic, you know, really, sh you know, shows people that you care. Um, you know, strive to be one of, if not the first person in every single day. And one of, if not the last people to leave every day, not because, you know, you're just there, you know, because you want to be, or, you know, I do want to be, I love what I do. Um, and I enjoy being around, you know, the guys, and the, you know, coworkers and whatnot, but because you are trying to provide as much value as possible. So don't just stick in the weight room all day and just be the weight guy, you know, like, trust me, I'm a meathead through and through. Okay. Anybody who knows me will tell you that, you know, hands down, I'm a meathead to the core. But, you know, I love the the guys, the camaraderie of the team. Uh, and that's where you kind of really develop and create that buy-in from the guys is by hanging out with them in the players' lounge, in the kitchen, in the dugout or on the bench, um, in the cages, the bullpen, whatever it may be. Uh, um, and when you have kind of those relationships, you know, word spreads, man. Um, and that's honestly, you know, most if not all of my – career moves have been a result of someone reaching out to someone like that I report to, whether it's, you know, I, when I was an intern, you know, obviously I had to, you know, my, uh, you know, full time that I was interning under was my number one most important reference. And so, you know, he, you know, recommended me to sniff a different place. Then when I was at Texas, coach Bishop reached out to coach Roos and boom, just like that. All right. Hey, I got a guy who's going to work his ass off for you. Yada, 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 yada. Next thing you know, I'm there. Go to, you know, basketball from Houston basketball to Houston baseball. And um, I think to me, the the greatest compliment I've ever, ever gotten as a coach was uh, when I told the team that I was leaving at the Houston baseball program to take this current position with the Mets. And one of our players who was a walk-on came up to me, gave me a big old hug. And he just said, you know what, coach, I want to thank you because – doesn't matter that I was a walk-on. You treated me the same and you expected the same out of me than every other guy. Um, and, you know, that, that really kind of stuck with me as I left. And so I really try to keep that same mentality and same approach 
you know, these last couple of years where, you know, I truly care about every single guy, whether it's a guy who signed for $5 million, who we expect to be in the big leagues here in, you know, the next maybe year or two, or a guy who maybe, you know, was on the last year of his contract and, you know, he's maybe only playing once a week. And we all know that he's, you know, likely on his way out here soon. Um, but, you know, it's my job to help every single one of the guys on my roster reach their potential as much as I can. And so just showing that you care about them, that's going to go a long way in you getting to wherever you want to be in your career, whether it's college, pro, private setting, private setting, doesn't matter. But just truly, you know, dig yourself into wherever you are and be present in the moment, but also always keep your ear to the ground. And, you know, if you think that the next something available is going to be better for you, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, you got to take care of yourself and move on to, you know, bigger, better things as much as it may suck at times, but never look back and just kind of keep always, you know, trying to climb that ladder and pursue those dreams. Nice. Nice. So I know I said that was the last question, but here, th- this is the last one. Sorry about that. No problem. So uh, like you mentioned, you mainly work with basketball and a little bit like Olympic sport before uh, come to the baseball environment. So um, do you think that kind of like help you build, help help you grow as a strength coach? Or let's say like a like a young strength coach who wants to be uh, the NBA, he just stick with basketball. A young strength coach who want to be at the major league, he should stick with baseball. What are your thoughts on this? For me personally, it definitely helps with my development and growth as a coach. Um, don't get me wrong. There are some phenomenal coaches who have only worked in their respective sport um, and they have mastered their sport. Hats off to them. And I'm sure they can go out and coach every other sport at a very high level as well. Um, but for me personally, I look at it as just the same as if I were to, you know, so growing up, I played, you know, basketball, baseball, soccer, football, um, you know, a little bit of hockey here and there, nothing, you know, competitive, but I would, you know, suit up and go to the rink with my friends, but you know, all that kind of helped me become a more well-rounded athlete. You know, it's kind of the same argument I feel like with, you know, athletes, do we want to specialize them and individualize them at an early age, or do we want them to play three or four sports through high school and continue to develop? You know, for me, that's kind of how I looked at my coaching, you know, was having exposure to multiple different teams, multiple different demands of, you know, energy system demands, um, you know, injuries that we need to be, you know, accountable for, you know, more cognizant of than maybe something else. Um, Like going from just like even my little exposure I had with a swim and dive program at uh, Texas when I was there for the summer, you know just seeing some of the preventative stuff that they were doing for like concussions, you know, for the divers, um, you know, that's not something I would have never have thought about, but now it's something that, you know, when I do work with other sports, you know, I start to kind of have more of an open mind just because of that experience and seeing what um, some of these other coaches. And that's the other thing too, is, you know, I have been very fortunate to have worked not only under some great coaches, but a lot of great coaches. And again, there's a million ways to skin a cat. That's what uh, Nicodemus told me when I was at Mizzou. Um, and he actually kind of highly encouraged me to go and, you know, do the position and take the position at Texas. Cause like, dude, he's like, you need to go learn from other coaches. He goes, cause I don't want you to go through your career thinking that my way is the only way to do things. And my, it's the only way to program and coach, you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat. You need to take what you learn from all these different great coaches 
blend them together into your own beliefs and formulate your own opinions on training and coaching and programming from there. Um, so yeah, I think a combination of learning from a bunch of coaches and being exposed to different sports has truly had an enormous impact uh, on my, my career and making me the coach I am. Man, I love this. I love this. So for those who are interested in what we're talking about today, where can they reach out to you? Uh, so my social media, uh, my Twitter page is Coach Jake A. Allen. Uh, you can follow me there. Uh, my Instagram is Coach uh, J. A. Allen. So J-A-A-L-L-E-N, uh, my middle initial A. So just kind of snuck that in there. Um, yeah, those are my two most active uh, social media pages. Uh, I did recently start a uh, YouTube channel. I'm trying to kind of follow some stuff onto there. Um, you know, the link will be in my YouTube channel. Probably throw the link in on here. Uh, it's, you know, Performance Coach Jake Allen is the name of my channel on there um, as well. Um, but, yeah, eventually I'm going to have a website here posted up in the next few weeks. So once I get that, um, that will be on all my social media pages as well. Cool. Cool. Love that. Love that. Thank you. Absolutely. It's great chatting with you. Best 